3: something from the Todd Feinberg show listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast
4: headline US plans to send Abrams tanks to Ukraine officials say plus Putin threatening nukes is the goal To drag us into a war. Is that what the American government has as a goal? Are we being manipulated? Are we being conned? You know, they did do this whole big PR campaign, making a star out of the president of Ukraine, a TV star, so that people would make that old emotional decision that they seem to always want us to be making. It's really easy to get people into mindsets where they're, they're tipping already. They're, they're already shifting. You know, we shift our weight towards in the direction they want us to go. And then it's easy for us to fall over. We have no money, though. We're broke as a nation. We are $32 trillion in debt as a nation. And all they, they don't acknowledge it. They just keep spending money that doesn't exist because they know it would be political suicide perhaps to be responsible but they know what they're doing is spending money we don't have creating debt for future generations to buy votes today is war part of that plan eight six oh five two two nine eight four two i'd love to hear your thoughts after we Get ourselves a little traffic report in. We're going to the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Mark Christopher is there, as always. Hey, Mark.
3: It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080.
4: WTIC, we are. Yes. Thank you for being here. 860 522 So, what are your thoughts about the way things are escalating in Ukraine? What are your thoughts about what the intention is of our government? This feels like we're being walked down a path to me. Do you have that sense? Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. In less than an hour, we'll be doing rants. Call one in. 8607514698 Something seems to be afoot. Are we being played? What are your thoughts? 8605229842 Jim's in Manchester. Hey Jim.
2: Hey uh, Todd. Um I might be off topic a little bit. I apologize. Are you talking about the debt ceiling?
4: Um no, but go ahead.
2: Uh, sir, well I heard you mention that and I you know I'm just I'm just kind of amazed by um, the Republicans how they're so uh, heroic uh, conservatives now but when Trump was uh, spending like a drunken sailor nobody was saying anything
4: well actually they're not saying anything now it's it's kind of shocking there was a guy let me see if I have the sound cut here and no, I, I I've got to dig it out but there was a guy I, I, on uh, on a podcast for Meet the press recorded yesterday. A congressman not named Don Bacon, he's a Republican, a moderate Republican. But, you know, the Republicans are supposed to be, even the moderate ones are supposed to be anti-crushing uh, debt and bankruptcy, right? This guy was talking about his idea to limit spending is to make sure that, that um, oh, which kind of spending is it? There's different kinds. There's mandatory spending, discretionary. So he wanted to hold discretionary spending, which is only thirty percent of the budget, down below inflation, and inflation's running at what seven, eight percent. So he's—they're not talking about anything.
2: Um, No, it's—it's—it's crazy. There, there's really no real uh, fiscal conservatives out there. I mean, Rand Paul, I guess he's the guy that probably you look to because uh, he's—he's—he's been pretty vocal about it the whole way through, but it's a pretty sad state of affairs
4: i think you're um, right the trouble is the team sport of politics takes precedent to them their team winning takes precedent over america winning and this is something we have to figure out how to tackle that the political parties are the enemy of good government and they're the enemy of the we the people having any influence over our government
2: well and it gets people uh on you know it sort of polarizes everybody so because some things some Democrats say actually make some sense. But because everything's polarized, there's no ideas from either side that anyone can agree on, except they agree on you know, raising spending pretty much. That's about it.
4: Yes, if you're if you're willing to go to the over to the side of the Democrats on spending, then it's easy to agree on things. But to get them to not want to uh well to curb explosive endless Wasteful spending, they're not going to stand in the way of that. They love that.
2: It's it's one party, the spending party.
4: Yes, because it works for them. Jim, thank you for the call. Good to hear from you. Appreciate it. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. Paul calling from Canton. Hello, Paul.
0: Hi, thanks for taking my call this afternoon, and thanks for doing what you do on the airwaves. It's fun. Are you kidding me? (laughs) <laughs> it's fun to listen to you i'll say that much well, and i i'm listening to you talk about the ukraine and i think todd it's one example that illustrates a much larger um gaslighting of the american public by our politicians and it really doesn't matter which side of the aisle they fall on but i think ukraine is a perfect example and i would start by saying when this whole thing broke out a year ago, we decided that the capital would have a new pronunciation. We changed it from Kiev to Kiev and there was no explanation why, but it was all part of this entire setup that we, the press and the government are going to paint a picture for the American public of what we want you to think of the Ukraine is. But A few years ago we all thought of the ukraine as an incredibly corrupt country where we would never support the anti-democracy policies that are going on there but we've convinced ourselves somehow that we should be supporting this well you know if the
4: democrats want something and then the um the media puts their message out and it's hard to stand in the way of all that pr machinery
0: it, it gets us to spend money on it that's what this is all about it's generating wealth for the politicians I'll give you another really good example Two, about a week ago there was news all over the radio that the state of Connecticut had received I forget if it was 20 or 200 million dollars additional money to help offset the uh, cost of heating oil and uh, how expensive it is for Connecticut residents to heat their homes right
4: yeah, I thought that was about thirty million, but we may be thinking about different programs. I'm not sure.
0: Okay, so it's but it's at some point I lose track of either tens or hundreds. Of yeah, years. me too. It's, right. So, but now think about this. Um, all I hear about is how mild and warm this winter season has been, mm-hmm. and we we did not face the escalating cost of home heating oil as we expected to when we went into the winter season. So my question is, where's all that money going? And if if it was cold outside, everyone would be screaming that we have to have the heating centers going and we need more money to keep people warm. But because we're having a mild w- winter, it's radio silence. But that money has been spent. Where is it all gone? And it's a, just another example. It's no different than what I just mentioned in, in uh, the Ukraine or how, um abortion rights have become reproductive rights it's it's the change in language and it's the painting of a mental picture for the american public that is not the reality while so and who knows what the reality is but you know that there's an awful lot of politicians getting very wealthy on all of this and you're right the american public is just left paying the bill and the country keeps going down the tubes I, and I, I'm beginning to feel this. Oh, and the last thing I want to say is here in Connecticut of all, pl- well, I shouldn't say of all places. So some legislator proposed that people who are here illegally oh, should course. be able to vote. Yes. <laughs> so think, of, think about that. The very people that we have voted to create law are proposing the ideas that we allow people who are here illegally to vote for people who create
4: laws. Yeah, you know what was most interesting to me, this uh, the, the story that was in The Current today, I think uh, the guy's name was uh, a state representative, Candelaria, Juan Candelaria, and yeah. he's the one making the proposal, and they quoted him saying something like, well, of course, nobody would go along with this this year, but I'm laying the groundwork. And this is what they do. They propose things that are ludicrous and anti-American and hateful, and they keep proposing them, and they keep talking
0: them up, and eventually everybody comes around. All the people who um, worked so hard for those rights or who fought for those rights or who had family members fight and die for those rights to vote – and this person puts such little worth on them that he's going to ignore the very law that they stand for. We're a nation of laws. And he's saying, well, let's ignore the law and let these people vote anyway. And then he backs it up with, well, I just want to get the conversation started. And my question is, yes. why would you ever want to start that conversation in the first place? Well, That's if you're a Democrat,
4: if you are a Shame Democrat, the things you stand for, thank you for the call Paul. it's great to hear from you and it's good stuff you brought up i appreciate it 8605229842 if you're a democrat and you have the choice of having americans going to the polls to vote when your name is on the ballot or foreigners who do you think is more likely to vote for a democrat 8605229842 especially people in the country illegally Steve in Coventry. Hi, Steve.
5: Hi, Todd. Um, so, I, as far as your last caller goes, I think we're seeing why you can register to vote in DMV. <clears throat> I think in some states, even if you are an illegal alien, you're allowed to vote, which is why I think when they go get their driver's license, they're asked that. I could be well, wrong. No, the I think, uh,
4: I think that you're right. The first thing you said about the the idea of using the application for a driver's license to trigger getting you signed up to vote is for all of these election rigging schemes that the Democrats run that have to do with making sure everybody votes, especially people who don't want to.
5: Yeah. My initial call was for over the Abrams tanks that we're sending over there. <clears throat> First of all, I feel Lindsey Graham needs to go um, to stand up there with <clears throat> with a trader like Blumenthal, who's now saying, begging with oversight. And, you know, now because they realize we know the money's not going where it should be going, etc. But my my feelings are is I don't know if the president, he must be able to just issue these tanks out, because I would think that Congress would be saying, hold on a minute here. we we'll just get to a point where we say we impeached a president over Ukraine. Before we send any more, we need to investigate Ukraine because we all know they're a money laundering country and have been corrupt for years. I don't think Zelensky's much better. Um, but it's it's just getting so out of hand. I'm all for innocent people, some of them getting protection and being able to protect themselves. But you know, we're all paying for this and and well,
4: hang on a sec, Steve. I just want to challenge you on falling for the way they want you to look at it. This is not about innocent people and our job of helping them, which is what they want us to think. That's our job. We're the saviors of the world. Ukraine is right there next to Europe, and Europe is a, a collection of countries that are of similar size and wealth to us. And Mm -hmm. why would it not the burden? Why wouldn't it fall on them? Why are we the ones who take who step in front of them in line to take care of this country that's right next door to them? And for whom they are, you know, they're tied to Ukraine in terms of their outcomes because of the energy they get from Putin.
5: Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it sounds terrible, but I'm at a point where I say we need to just pull out. Uh, because no, it doesn't matter. sound why? terrible.
4: It sounds good because <clears throat> I mean, we, we don't have any money. They've spent all our money on frivolous things.
5: Yeah. And, and at one point, and I did vote. <clears throat> I'm 55. I voted for some Democrats over the years, and I actually voted uh, for Ross Perot because as a youngster, I felt like, why aren't we having a professional businessman run our country? It's a business. And back then, I felt like spend, 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 tax, tax. I'm being used here, and I had a problem with Benghazi. My father's an ex marine um you know when when Obama said the line in the sand, i just the corrupt it is nothing but a corrupt affiliation. It's getting to the point where I feel it's almost a cult because there's they're followers more than. Yeah, it's just I'm sorry. How what's people, the uh, what's the cult? The Democrats <laughs> the party. I feel like it's become almost like a, a cult. Yeah, well I, a political affiliation.
4: You know, the place I am now. Thank you for the call, Steve. It's great to talk with you. The place I've gotten to is that the parties are a problem. Structurally, political parties are a problem. They are middlemen who stand between us and the levers of government and they mark everything up for us because they play all these games. They lie to us about what's actually going on. You know, it's, it's uh, time for us to, to smarten up and stop being rolled and we're being rolled right now. We're being rolled on everything. If you heard the interview uh, forty five minutes ago we were doing with with uh, Stephen, boy, this whole postmodernism thing. You can see how they how they take these games out of these these crazy ideas from academicians and they and they plug them into a new approach to policy and they teach people this stuff. You've got people coming out of universities. You've got Barack Obama who believed in a a concept of, the american system of government that is antithetical to the american system of government and he articulated it before he got into the white house it's scary stuff
1: miss we really need new phones t-mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iphone 15s and each line is only 25 a month new iphone 15s only at t-mobile get four iphone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch
2: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
3: From the Todd Feinberg Show, listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast.
4: WTIC, Wednesday afternoon we're at hump day, which means the speed towards the weekend picks up. It's a lot of physics that the weekend gets closer, comes faster, whatever I'm trying to say, you know what I mean. David and Brantford Hype.
6: Hey, yeah, Todd, you got to hit when the iron's hot. There's an article in today's New Haven Register, the mm-hmm. headline story, written by Ken Dixon. Uh, ooh, boo. Let's boo him. Uh, state Republicans want to make some calibrated changes in the laws of our state relative to the now legalized marijuana. Oh, yes. And w- and one of the worst racial bigots in the legislature, that would be Gary Winfield, a uh, senator who ran unopposed out of New Haven. Mm-hmm. So uh, Representative Candelora wants to tighten up the rules relating to driving when high mm-hmm. on marijuana. And there's a quote on page A10 of Senator Gary Winfield. I want to read it. It's only one sentence. Okay. Win- Winfield opposes any move to allow marijuana stops at the discretion of police. Mm-hmm. I want to read that again. Winfield <laughs> opposes any move to allow marijuana stops at the discretion of police. The motivation for that statement is he, he assumes all the police everywhere are racial bigots who are only stopping the drivers because they're so prejudiced when it is so obvious that toked up drivers need to be stopped. It seems completely reasonable. You and know, I just wanted Go ahead I, I just want to call the listeners' attention to it. Why would a legislature not want the police stopping you if you're at a stoplight, you know, smoking a gigantic blunt and the smell is pouring out of the car. You know,
4: only if their their bread is buttered elsewhere than in uh, upholding the law and making sure you have a safe society. So we have to extrapolate from there. Bob in Middletown, hi.
7: Hey, Todd. I just wanted a quick thing about, uh, like you call him, Jolly Ned, that he's taking
5: credit for uh, decreased crime, yeah, uh, you know, and the state's correction uh, uh, going Yeah, yeah, down, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's all the usual like, okay, garbage. So we're going to we're going to we can shut down this Enfield
7: prison. That thing is probably so old and it's so out of code that it would take millions to to rebuild it. Who the, who does he think he's kidding when you have a murder in Hartford every other day or a carjacking? They don't send people to jail anymore.
4: This is the cornerstone, that technique that you're talking about of claiming something that is diametrically opposed to reality as being true and providing some kind of flimsy evidence is the entirety of his governorship. That's his political career right there. Thanks. It's all like garbage. Everything he says is garbage. Yes, and I, and I he doesn't even try to make meaningful points. And it's all no, to get he, away from he, he, he having he to be responsible. I
5: mean, he just thinks we're all stupid, I guess.
4: Well, so far he's proven us correct.
5: Have...
4: Sad to say. Bob, thank yep. you for the thank call. You. Good to hear from you. That's the state of things. 860 522 We're going to talk more. Oh, we've got uh, today's Wednesday. So Joe Markley will be here in a few minutes.
3: Now back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080.
4: Joe Markley coming up, but let's uh, let's talk to Alan Bloomfield first. Hello there, Al.
8: Well, well, Todd, I want you to go back to two, maybe three callers back, and you listen to what that man said. It's just as racist as all out? And you let him slide.
4: What did he say that was racist?
8: I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. Well implied, I didn't
4: I didn't notice it, so you'll have to tell me what it was.
8: Well he implied that all of us black folks are alike. We're not alike. We're individuals. How we did he do that? We have individual thoughts, we have individual ideas, and your caller said that those people and when he mentioned those people, when he said those people, black folks understand what it means when he What says was he referring
4: things. to though? Can you give us the context I, I, of the conversation?
8: Well he 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 was referring to us. No 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 specifically I mean, I mean, what the got said the Al the only thing I'm, only thing I'm Al, saying is I don't even know and, who
4: you're talking about. So can you tell well, me what the context well, the only of the conversation the only,
8: thing, the only thing I'm saying is go back and play your recordings of that interview with that man some two, three calls back. But That's what all. what was he saying I, I gotta about gotta black go. people? I gotta I gotta yeah, go I gotta yeah, okay, go.
4: It's so easy to uh, talk like that. I don't recall us having a conversation about black people. What was what was the conversation? Somebody remind me, please, so I can understand what Al's talking about. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. Joe Markley is here. He'll tell us what what it's all about because Joe is a sharp guy. Hi, Joe. I wish I could. Uh, Todd, I was listening to, and I have no idea
7: what that caller was. referring. I was very curious as soon as he came on and said that racist statement, I was, I was like hanging on the end end of my seat, waiting to hear what it was because I didn't hear anyone say anything. And uh, I don't know. It's, this is, this is the crazy world we live in where you, where you, if something happens and you don't even know what it was and somebody's mad about it.
4: Yes. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, there is something legitimately that can happen, which is we all hear speech differently, and, and we've been taught to respond to certain things certain ways. And I, I just don't – I didn't notice we, that race was on the table at all. But uh, Well,
7: that's why I was so curious to hear what he had. I really was curious to hear what he had to say, thinking, that, well, I'm going to learn something about how somebody in a different situation
4: takes yes,
5: yes.
7: something. But if you can't even say what it was, what they were talking about, I mean that's that's a kind of it, it would help a little bit to know that's what sorry. The,
4: a little bit of context would have helped. So what, what's going on with you? you still teaching that course to uh, those leftist young people in Western? Virginia was
7: actually the, the last day um, and their final was to get up and give a, a presentation on how they would run for the state Senate in their home district. One young man, from uh, uh, downtown Los Angeles, one mm-hmm. from um, uh, kind of the hills of uh, Massachusetts, and one from a, a city up in New Hampshire. So each of them had to figure out over the course of the, of the, of the month that we've been together, you know, what do you need to do, um, how much money do you have to raise, how are you going to spend it, who are you going to talk to in order to run for a state senate seat as a, as a thought experiment. Did you and have a job.
4: Uh, Did you have George Santos come in as a guest speaker to help? <laughs>
7: you know who I had as a guest speaker? I wonder if they, well, you'll know this name. I had Jane Swift come in. Do you remember? Uh, former the, former uh,
4: acting governor of Massachusetts.
7: Former acting governor of Massachusetts. Um, and she lives here in, in uh, Williamstown where I'm teaching the course. And she was very interesting. Uh, she, she was a very, uh, let's say, a very frank and uh, uh, kind of forthcoming woman at this point, you know, with politics far behind her. Yes. And uh, very sharp politically. The, the conversation we had, I thought, this, this woman knows which end is up politically, even though her career was kind of a ended in disappointment, I think. Well,
4: you know, she got sabotaged by opportunity. Just for, uh, for people who don't know, Jane Swift was the, the lieutenant governor of Massachusetts, and, and the governor is—who was it who left office? I can't even remember. Was Paul she... Okay, so she was serving under Governor Paul Cellucci, and he left to take a, an ambassadorship, and, and she became governor. And it was, uh, you know, she was in overhead, and the timing wasn't good, and it ruined her career rather than provided her a stepping stone to bigger things. She got pushed
7: out for Mitt Romney um, because the Republicans thought that Mitt would have a better chance of, um, of, of winning the governorship and yeah. she would have, yes. even as an incumbent, and but of she had been win a, the governorship so but
4: she had been a disaster in her acting governor stage in in terms of enhancing her own potential and And so I think they were rightly concerned about what would happen if she were the nominee. Anyway, so how'd she do? No, she was, she was, she was
7: very, she's very sharp. She's from this part of the world. So she's been accustomed to being in democratic territory mm-hmm. and she kind of came up through the ranks and she's a um, uh, tough cookie. And I'm surprised that she, I, I, I never quite got, we didn't get into her governorship. We were talking more about how you get started, not how you end up. But um, I, I, as, as appealing as she is on a certain level, and she was an appealing, sort a young woman uh had some young kids that was part of what i think caused her some trouble um but it's hard for me to see how she could have misstepped so badly and even reading about it before she came into class it was i, I couldn't really get a handle on what went wrong while she was governor or acting governor as they call it in massachusetts so but did you learn anything f-
4: did you learn anything from the this experience with the students you were teaching that about what they how they internalized your lessons about running for state senate like what did they say and and were they credible ridiculous uh standard state senate candidate kind of speeches
7: no they i think they i think they got it i felt like um they came away with it came away from it with a pretty clear idea of what has to be done all three of them democrats i wouldn't say any all three of them crazy democrats by any means but kind of standard issue college student liberals not 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 wolf or anything like that yeah um and I, the, I i suppose the good news in a way in a way is i don't expect any of them is going to run for anything so it's not like i'm necessarily helping the uh helping the helping the other side no it i was, was just i a, was
4: just interested in what if there are any insights that you garnered from having that experience with them um
7: you know we stayed away from the ideological conversation, because that wasn't the point of the class, and I didn't want to just be in an argument with them. We did talk, I think, the most interesting conversation we had on that score, because we talked about how do you handle issues, you know? If you're going to talk about this issue, how do you do it in a way that, that um, to some extent, how do you do it in a way that you can, you can be good with your base and yet appeal to the general public? And um, one of the students at one point said, how do you reconcile the fact that the Republican Party was the party of Lincoln and now has become, um, you know, seen as being the anti-Civil Rights Party? And I said, you know, the problem is this uh, change we've had from Equality to equity. And I think that point made a, made good sense to them. And I hope that maybe at least on that and a few other places I, I, I planted a seed. The other thing I stress with them is something I've said on your show, Todd, that again, I don't know that my conservative friends like to hear me say it either, but that, um, the distribution of, of, um, intelligence and virtue does not fall along party lines. Um, there's people that are smart people, even though they believe things that I don't know how they believe them. But we're born with a certain outlook on life, and some of them end up on the left side of the spectrum, and some on the right side of the spectrum. It doesn't mean that they're dumb generally or that they're bad. Um, I think they're mistaken on the issues, at least as they stand in our in our current moment, when it's clear that government is the problem. Government's got to get out of the way, and um, and 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 what the left has in mind with equity and with everything else would you know mean- I. I- I had Unbelievable a conversa- government power. I
4: yeah. had a conversation with a new person today who lives in a whole other part of the country. it was totally random that I was on the phone with him and I, he was asking me about being a radio talk host and how I look at things and he said he was more to the left and but was interested and and, and uh, I gave him my rap on because he was saying you know I just think Democrats are they're the good party. They believe in good things and helping people and stuff. And I said, "You mean helping things like having cities that they have total control over be the violent places and have and have the schools in the cities be the worst schools you can possibly have to send your kids to." And and you know, I started doing my rap on all this stuff, and we, in a couple of minutes, he was going, "Oh my god, I feel like such an idiot." And <laughs> I and I was thinking about it. People don't usually turn around that quickly. People are usually defensive and don't allow the challenge that they're feeling to their fundamental assumptions make any headway with them. But he did. And I found it interesting because it, you know, I, I call this uh, left-right thing that you've been referring to, the the Yankee Suck Syndrome, that we, we adopt at some point in our lives a certain belief system that usually emanates from partly our geography and a lot the household we grow up in and the values that are instilled and then we make a decision and then we don't think about it again we just root for our side and so the I'm saying this because of what you said about it's not that people aren't smart or thoughtful but you you know most people I think who support Democrats don't realize how quickly they're teaching turning us into a a communist society and they even hear those words, and they think it's outrageous and laughable because they haven't opened their eyes. They can't open their eyes. This is the, the the thing with political conditioning and narrative conditioning that once you've absorbed a certain perspective, you can't escape it.
7: Yeah, it becomes part of your identity. And we live in a crazy world in which I think personal identity has become wrapped up with all kinds of external and essentially unimportant things. I mean, if you mentioned Yankees, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, okay, fine. I I don't, I don't mind somebody. I I think it's a healthy thing to cheer for your team, but anyone who sees, you know, being a Yankees fan as being essential to who they are um, is, is missing something. But but that's a more appropriate, isn't
4: that a more appropriate identity thing? than being loyal to a political party. Being loyal to a political team, the, the idea of being loyal suggests that it's an identity-oriented thing that's done for fun because you don't provide loyalty to people who stand on the wrong side of things.
7: That's right. It shouldn't be. It, it, it's more dangerous to, to have that kind of mindless loyalty in politics. That You know, I, my, my late brother-in-law was a big liberal when, uh, when he married my sister, and we had many political conversations. And over the years, he came over 100%. And um, he said to me years later, he said, the seed you planted was when you said, look at, I, I said, I, said, I want, you want, you want a better life for the people that are living in the wrong parts of Hartford. And I do too. Look at the Hundreds of millions of dollars we've spent, at least hundreds of millions, billions of dollars that we've spent in that city, has the life improved any? And that's the fact you've got to bump into at some mm-hmm. point. And, you know, I showed these kids, um, we watched one movie at the end just to give them something different to do, which was The Candidate, the Robert Redford movie. Oh, from about that was a great movie.
3: Yeah.
7: Yeah, it's a pretty good movie. How did you um, get it? it a- I
4: thought it wasn't available.
7: Well, Williams College can get anything oh, it yeah. wants to. So okay. they got it for me. So we streamed it. And um, if, if people that want to have an idea, it's about as good a movie about what a campaign is like as I've seen. Not perfect, but pretty good. But one of the things I said to it is, do you notice that the problems that they're talking about are still the same problems? That Robert Redford, as this liberal candidate who was going to fix on, everything years ago, yeah. was going to fix everything and said, we have enough money. We can we can give every kid a good education. We can afford to bring people out of poverty. You know, it's the same thing. Did and I tell you about point,
4: you uh, said, about seeing a Bobby Kennedy documentary recently? And, no. And, and they followed Bobby Kennedy with a camera when he went down south after he was attorney general and maybe before he ran for U.S. Senate in New York. And he was so impacted by the poverty there that he came home saying we've got to uh, get some money to the people down there and he you know and and i thought there it is that's the moment where stupidity takes over when you're struck with how bad things are and you think all you have to do to fix things is to send a little money down there we've sent trillions and things don't improve your friend you were on the phone with today
7: I mean, the trouble is people say, see, money equals I care, right? Mm -hmm. So the Democrats want to spend money because they care. The Republicans don't want to spend money because they're just a bunch of cheapskates that are only in it for themselves. When the fact is, frankly and honestly, if I thought the money would make any difference, I'd consider it. It's the fact that it's been proven that the money doesn't make any difference. And
4: the purpose (laughs) of the money isn't even to change anything. It's just to win votes. That's right.
7: That's right. That's all that's being done with it at this point. Anyways, and the one thing we've made progress on, Todd, which is which is 30 the,
4: seconds. Go it, ahead. Take your time.
7: People's hearts, as far as race is, uh, is concerned, changed over the decades. The cities didn't get better, but racism has declined. And yet that's the thing that everyone's saying you can never do anything about that. That's that's structural that's in the heart of uh, that's that's white privilege and um and you've got you've got a uh, a tone for it somehow.
4: Joe Markley, nice to talk with you. We'll talk to you again next week. Uh okay, very good Todd. Look forward to it. Take care. Joe Markley. There he is. We'll talk more. We've got Rants coming up 8605229842 and we've got Mark Christopher coming up right now in the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Hello there Mark.